would you like to leave a legacy and not debt? Welcome to Affordable Final Expense, where we do all the shopping and you do all the saving. We help make those end-of-life conversations more comfortable for you and your family. Hello, this is Michael Lucy from the Leave a Legacy and Not Debt podcast. Welcome. Today is Monday, July 15th, 2019, and we are going to be having a conversation about a community. That community is the community of special needs people, both children and adults. Joining us today is the one and only Jeff Jones from right here in Metro Detroit, Michigan, and Scott Zweifel from Loveland, Colorado. Truth be told, Scott, Jeff, and myself, we have a couple things in common. Number one, we're all licensed life and annuity agents. Secondly, and more important, the three of us have lived our lives with direct family members that have special needs. So, Scott, introduce yourself, please. Scott's wife, here in Loveland, Colorado, originally from Northwest Iowa and grew up in the Midwest. Thank you. And Mr. Jones. Yeah, Jeff Jones here. Um, I live in the metro Detroit area, area called Down River, and um, uh, eager to help people uh, meet their needs, solve problems, and uh, um, I guess uh, be an encouragement in community. Thank you. So real quick, let's just uh, introduce the, the special needs conversation here so I'll, I'll introduce my stake in this conversation and then if you guys would as well so I I've lived my entire life with a sister that has Down syndrome she's about three years older than me um, and you know my my perspective on someone with special needs especially a brother or a sister is they're just like everyone else I have lived my life where my sister Karen is just my sister Karen you know we all know she has special needs but we treat her in her own way a, a, a little bit special but she's just one of us. So uh, the last thing I want to contribute is if something were to ever happen to my sister, God forbid, is it's it's difficult or impossible to think about. And it's even more difficult to talk about. Uh, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about, but uh, Scott and Jeff have more compelling stories. Scott, tell us a little bit about your situation. So I have three kids, a wife and three kids. Um, I didn't really think much anything of special needs growing up and until I got married. Not having a personal relevant situation. Um, my twins are 18. They just graduated from high school here in Loveland. And they have a syndrome called 22Q deletion, which is the name you could search and find out anything about that. It was founded by a doctor named DuJour, so it's commonly still referred to as DuJour's syndrome. Behind Down syndrome, it's the second most diagnosed syndrome amongst kids. The problem is it's not as relevant. There's not as many glaring features or symptoms that you may see. And I'll explain that a little further um, with my twins. Um, when my twins were born, we were in Rochester, Minnesota. I couldn't forever figure out what I was, why I was in Minnesota, because I never saw the sunshine. Um, but we lived one mile away from the great health facility called Mayo Clinic and both my girls were born there and day one um, my daughter had a hole in her heart and it was 
I could listen to her versus her twin. They were born a little premature. Three, one, and four, seven were their weights, so pretty small. Um, but it was very obvious, the swishing sound that was going on with the hole in the heart there. And so immediately we knew something was up. So we kind of, certain things we needed to take care of first was just getting them up to weight and getting them to be able to take home in that. And then we, they started to develop over six months to a year and realized they were lagging a lot of areas. Um, so Mayo had suggested we get them genetically tested and that's actually how we found out that this, they had, they were the missing the 22nd chromosome, which is the, that's how it gets its name. Um, so then we just started reading about that. And there was a lot of information out there and a lot, not a lot of people who had this and we didn't know what we were going to do or how we were going to do it, but we had to do it because it was time and our kids had it. So um, my daughter, Grace, had her first heart surgery at six months, uh, one at 10 years and one at 16 years old. So she's had three heart surgeries to replace valves and get some different things going on. Her, her symptom was obvious, and now there's some cognitive and physical symptoms that are attached to that too but the heart was obviously the the one that jumped out at us um, my other daughter did not have screaming you know anything that jumped out so this is why this so commonly goes undiagnosed um, many kids could have this and not have the symptom any symptoms that jump out at you physically or you know to the untrained eye so there's 180 different symptoms some of them look very severe some of them are very mild so we're going down the path and through the years just they've just basically been a little behind and they've done fine they've haven't known any different um fought their way through it you know some challenges for us and how we're gonna where we will place them for schooling and um best atmosphere best atmosphere for them to learn and grow and just be the best they can be for where they're at um, and they've matured nicely. Um, they're still behind, certainly, probably not ready to head off into the real world, but um, there's some nice programs here we're involved with and moving them into those. And so I just, I just see them as being able to progress and it'll just be a slower progression than the rest of the, rest of the kids that gra are graduating this year. So I think right. that's, that's, that's uh, probably a little bit of the background or the basics of my situation. But that there's a, I, I knew some of the story. I didn't know the whole story. So now I, I have additional questions, whether it's asked now or later. I, uh, thanks for sharing that, Scott. That's compelling. Mm -hmm. And uh, Mr. Jones, Mr. Jones has an um, uh, an amazing and emotional story. Uh, let's 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 hear dire directly from you, Mr. Jones. What do you? Well, have? Thanks, Mike. Thanks for including uh, me in this conversation and this opportunity. Hopefully. Uh, Hopefully we can keep uh, patches on everybody. You know, certainly, you know, when you uh, have a special needs child and my, and my, my daughter had um, an extra 21st chromosome, what they call trisomy disorder and which they call Down syndrome. Um, and again, there's so much to the story, just I guess, uh, so I, and I want to keep it short. I really just think that what we need to do, and this is here to help, we're over here to help people. Um, you know, we live life thinking that if we can blame somebody or something, that it eases our responsibilities and accountability. And uh, that's not the truth at all. Uh, 
that if we blame somebody or something for, you know, uh, something's going on, you know, it's like um, when the doctors told us that they think our daughter has Down syndrome, um, right away they, the thought is, you know, let's have an abortion. That's what the doc, the medical world seems to force you into thinking. And that wasn't our case at all. It didn't matter to us. Um, this was our daughter and we were looking forward to, and, and we are kind of spoiled because we have 11 children. Now we are having our 15th grandchild. So, uh, we love children just as they are because uh, that's the way they are. And so, but we go through this thing, uh, uh, trying to figure out how to blame or how to find, you know, how did this happen? You know, what, um, why does my child have down syndrome? And, um, unfortunately, uh, my daughter was nonverbal and um, she had uh, some other disorders uh, early on, uh, infantile spasms uh, that were really bad um, and her adrenal gland was, uh, her pituitary gland was underdeveloped so the adrenal gland was causing jerks and so forth and most of the things that we've done we worked through uh, organically um, or um, naturally to see and certainly our daughter was free from all those things but unfortunately she developed uh, down uh she developed leukemia um at age uh four and that was a two-year battle um that anybody uh, any parent has to go through just adds to the emotions and the and the time frame of what took place um unfortunately after a two-year battle um due to the complications of chemotherapy my daughter died in my arms but it was through this process uh, I think that we identify things. Number one, the need for accountability. And um, uh, when my daughter was at her, we'll say, her greatest struggle going through chemotherapy and she was sleeping for maybe only an hour, hour and a half at a time, waking up constantly in pain and not really being able to express herself. One night I was rocking her in a in this big rocking chair that she seemed to love and I got her to sleep plenty, plenty of times over throughout the night and um, uh, I was crying. I was crying uh, over the, the frustrations and struggles of everything that was going on and and I asked God that I just wanted to have my daughter look at me and, and smile and say, Daddy, I love you and um, it was my, my desire and I expressed that to God one day while I was rocking her in the middle of the night. And in the still of the night, I felt as though God had answered me back and said, Jeff, do you think I want anything different than that for myself, for us as people to identify a relationship and to say, I love you, you know? Um, and so it was that very moment that I, I experienced the heart of God um, through my daughter that I believe was part angel. I believe special needs children are, have a touch of angelic uh, presence inside of them. They, are so amazing and, um, and when I uh, I probably kind of people sometimes think I'm a little bit unusual when I run across special needs children in public because um, I see this beauty this innocence that wants to engage but yet they don't think they should because people respond unfavorably to them like if they get too close they're gonna get sick you know or um, <laughs> they're gonna get some funny disease or something because they're interacting with a child. And so we as parents struggle through all that accountability and need. But when, uh, for my story, um, even though uh, a lot of people don't have the same type of story where, you know, uh, they do believe that most Down's children have shorter lives. So in my your case, your sister um, 
is a anomaly in a sense probably to live longer but um i think the greatest thing is to understand that there are i think we abuse the term special needs and the special needs are is our responsibility and accountability that not that we point at them and say oh my child's special needs please excuse them you know and so for me my daughter sayla um gave me the opportunity to see the heart of god you know through the process of parenting and nurturing and uh oddly enough my daughter's name sayla um basically means the crescendo or the the rest note um in a in a or uh, in an aria so here as the the orchestra prepares and builds up music and takes you to the highest epitome of sound um and leaves you hanging and then goes silent that is her name and oddly enough that was what i experienced uh the beauty and opportunity of of nurturing somebody who who depended on me uh for her every need and uh, so to me i'm honored to be a a parent you know of a special needs child so a, a couple things uh, to contribute to Jeff's story is um when i mentioned Jeff and i know each other in real life IRL in real life uh, so when i mentioned to my mother and Jeff knows my family when i mentioned to my mother that Jeff will be on this podcast the first thing she said to me is i remember when i went to his church and he treated Karen my sister Karen i remember when he treated and how he treated your sister Karen with special with respect and special So that really resonated with me and now hearing your story it's you know I know that Brenda your wife and you um have a special place in your heart for people. Yeah you know like I hope if I could take just a second it was really unique. Um yesterday me and my wife took a little day trip we went over to South Haven a couple hours over to Lake Michigan and we're walking around through a store and um there was a young man with downs walking through and his mom was picking out some shirts and stuff for him. Mm. I wanted to engage in conversation. He was I don't know how old Matthew was uh or is. He's in his maybe 20s, had a beard. And um there was this really cool shirt that was on sale in the back of the store and they hadn't been there. And but I wanted to engage in conversation with Matthew. I wanted him to know that he was okay, you know, that everything was cool. So and I normally because I don't know him, I generally want to run up to you know a boy and say hey man what's up superman and engage him in this uh this little play of things and uh, but he was he was a little bit older you know a little bit more mature and i didn't know exactly how to start it and just go up to him you know but i did i just said i did i walked up and said hey dude what's up and i put my fist out we bumped fists and and he was like who's this stranger bumping fists with me you know and so i said hey you know i know you guys are looking for shirts and maybe it's a little bit weird but there is a shirt that's like it's you own the shirt back here and it's on sale for like 75% off and and he go, and right away Matthew introduced himself well, my name's Matthew and I said oh, my my name's Jeff we shook hands we walked to the back of the store and his mom's like looking at me and his son engaging in the store and I said Matt you you would own this shirt man if you put this shirt on you would be like the girls would be all over the surf man you are you would be the king of kings your beard this shirt and it was a it was like an old custom tie dye and um i said matthew the, the, i just wanted you, i just saw you in this story and i thought this is it man you got to wear the shirt by the time 5 minutes later you know we're exchanging facebook pages and phone numbers and having fun and and i'm hoping that some some way rather than for the you know for the people that shun 
children with special needs. Uh, maybe in that little moment, you know, maybe we bridge the world. Thanks, Jeff. We're going to be pivoting into the conversation about life planning, end of life planning, and what I call life sustainability here shortly. But first, I, as I understand it, Scott, your daughters just finished high school. So if you would, Scott, uh, could you just share with us what it feels like for you uh, for having your daughters just complete high school? It was pretty emotional for sure. Um, they've come a long way. Like, I always think, uh, <laughs> and mostly, I didn't ever think they could do anything competitive. I did sports as a, in high school, which didn't get me very far, but I always wanted them to do music or something along those lines that they can take with them for their life. Well, uh, the, Lo- the Loveland Band's very competitive and they've done very well for many years here, like always top five in Statens. My mindset going into high school was they can't do band and they probably can't ever get a job at a fast food place. Well, they proved me wrong and they've done both of those things and they've done them very well. And um, they formed some really good relationships, like nice relationships with adults. Um, I, I'm guessing they got teased and whatnot way more than I'm aware of, but they never brought it home. They never really said about it unless they had a problem with one or, you know, more than your normal problem with a kid. I, I can only remember one or two, you know, throughout their whole career. So the, the whole community there was awesome that way. Um, my one daughter had the school security guard present her diploma to him, which was to her, which was the, that got me a little bit. And then the other daughter was presented by her, her, there's a league called, uh, Special Olympics puts on a league and they have basketball teams and they get to travel. So this was their version of the, of the sport. So the kids get in the bus and they go to another school and they get to compete against the other kids. And so it's just a variety of every kid with special needs. Uh, one kid was blind and they put a bell up by the basket so he could see where to shoot or hear where to shoot the ball. And so they're involved in that. And uh, so the, the coach of their basketball team presented her diploma to her and she all, that coach has a special uh, Down syndrome daughter as well so that was pretty emotional and yeah just hit you know you always think about the next stage of their life and they're going to go into a nice program here for transitioning uh, learning about how to use the community the resources available and, and maybe take a class or two here and there too so all right um on to the, the next topic, talking about preparation and planning for life. Uh, life, not only as, as we experience it, but life when someone in your family, uh, direct family, has a disorder or is of special needs. And I know Jeff doesn't like that, that term, but uh, first, right now, Scott, Jeff, and I, we have some behind the scenes activity going on where we're looking to partner with and contribute to uh, some organizations that are uh, special to us with Scott we're working on uh, you know some relationships and partnerships with the people that are involved or have are involved on a day-to-day basis with the the George syndrome did I say that right yeah that sounds pretty good okay and then myself and uh, Jeff is the art which is the association for retarded children and don't let the term children fool you it's for anyone with um, 
that disorder. So the three of us on this on on this podcast are all licensed life and annuity producers. And the first thing I'd like to do is congratulate Scott, who just got his appointment to do business in Michigan, a non-resident producer. Welcome to the welcome to the crew. Uh, next is uh, Jeff. Uh, Mr. Jones has a little bit of experience, maybe even a lot of experience in this. Um, so what what I'd like to do is pick Jeff's brain, uh, and I'm sure Scott Scott would like to as well. If we can just fire some questions at you, um, and then you share some of your knowledge and expertise with us, we we would love it, and I'm sure the people listening would also appreciate it. Great. Are you ready? Happy to do so. Fire away. All right. So let's. One of the things that you and I have spoke about over time, and I I vividly remember the conversation with you. You said, Mike, when something goes wrong or is devastating in your life, you don't understand how it takes away from your ability to do day-to-day or activities or live your life. And you said, when when sale passed, I had to detach from what I did and I needed some time off. Can you explain like two two different angles on this? Number one is the emotional angle, and number two, how how did you prepare a plan for it so that you had the the financial means or resources to be able to live through that period? Well, again, uh, the first I guess see, see how I try to offer that when my when my daughter uh, was diagnosed with um, when my daughter was diagnosed with Downs. Um, uh, it's, you know, it was, um, I realized I had to make some changes. Um, but then when she was diagnosed with leukemia, um, I realized that, um, there was a lot more to it that was necessary. So, um, I'm sorry about this interruption. I'm just, uh, trying to block it from happening to uh, interrupting us more. So, um, so, uh, what, um, I knew that when that my daughter's needs were more importantly more important than my needs uh, and I was not able to structure my mind enough to um, uh, to be responsible to my clients so I I went to I, I basically had to resign my, my position because I felt it was so necessary for, for, for um, it was so necessary for me to um, for me to have the mind frame to be responsible and accountable to my clients and give them the attention I they needed during this time that my family's needs were greater than income. And I, I probably never could have done that um, had I not um, prepared in several ways. And that's one of the, using some of the tools of insurance allowed me to make those transitions that other people weren't able to. Um, again, my compliance officer used to call me into the office and said, Jeff, why are you writing million dollar policies on children? Isn't that a little bit ridiculous? And I asked my compliance officer, um, who was about 65 years old, maybe 70 years old. And I said, um, have you, have you ever survived the death of a child? And he kind of was, he's looking at me and I said, well, um, I don't know how much time I'm going to need. I don't know how much time my wife's going to need. And I don't know 
anybody else's needs are going to be. But if you're making six figure income, certainly, um, and you need to take a, and it's, don't worry, I guess it never goes away. You think about it every, I think about my daughter every day, but it's not, uh, you know, it's, it's not an, uh, it's not an obstacle I can't overcome, but being able to be financially prepared for those time frames allowed me to, um, to get, it was just one thing that I didn't have to be concerned about. And my compassion for people as a whole to think that, and I heard a statistic that, um, that like 70, 80% of parents of special needs children or that survive, that their children dies before them, they end up in divorce um, and their family falls apart. Their whole world falls apart. Wow. Sometimes they, you know, they just fall apart themselves. And so, you know, to me, uh, what's reasonable then at that question? I mean, if, if, and I know this, that even though it's been, you know, now uh, five years um, since my daughter has passed, I just now feel comfortable really um, allowing the hindrances of those things uh, not disrupt my income opportunities. And so, so it, to me, three, four years of income is probably fairly reasonable um, to make those transitions. And everybody can't do that. But when you can, um, my goodness, if, if insurance becomes the tool to do it, then man, that's great, you know, let alone, and there's a lot of other tools that you can use, you know, just rather than I'll say, I call it death insurance, um, because there is a term called life insurance, right? And so um, it would be, it's so cool to think that because I've been regularly contributing into something that I thought was for my legacy, now becomes something that I can draw from, I can draw from my cash values to supplement some of my income time that I need to take for me, my wife and my kids. Again, with 11 children and 15 grandkids, a death affects everybody. And right. so, um, so these are some, some part of the processes. So I'm able to utilize my own, I was able to utilize my own cash reserves not from my bank account, but from my life reserve accounts, we'll say, you know, so the cash value buildup there allows me to take a few years off of work and, um, and process through some of that time. And uh, again, um, some people would think, you know, oh my goodness, that number's morbid to think that you'd have that much insurance on your child. Um, but I mean, I, I think it's okay to say that you know, I, I keep over a million dollars of insurance on myself. Why? Because if something happens to me, I don't want my family to have to experience the same struggles of everybody else that that think that that a hundred thousand dollar life insurance policy is going to solve all your problems when you you know when you die tomorrow. And it's not. It just really probably creates more. So, um, so I don't know if I asked the question if I was too roundabout. I apologize. Not at all. Scott, I'll put the next question or give Scott the, the next opportunity to fire away at, at Jeff. What do you, do you have a question for Jeff? Well, I just contribute to that, I guess. I, I've had tunnel vision on, I have everyone else covered. Well, I have, of course, have insurance on the girls. 
But I, I never looked at the what I need to do if something actually happens to them. I, I guess I presumed I'd just power through it and keep on working. But that now that Jeff brings that up, I would actually want that benefit to be able to step back and, and process everything for a certain amount of time. I mean, um, th things are in my place if something happens to me. Things are in place if something happens to my wife, which is who's the primary caretaker of my daughters. and. Certainly, if you need, if a spouse or is not a caretaker there, and you use someone else, or um, there's some transition things to think about there that are necessary for life insurance on on the child. So, I don't know if it raised any more questions for me necessarily, but that's that's those thoughts came to my mind right away as so, you spoke. So here here's an interesting. Let's let's try this an interesting game uh scott knows the industry however scott just said you know i never thought about uh, what would happen uh, to my life uh, the, the life of myself and my family and my wife if something were to happen to one of our daughters so let's pretend scott's not an agent for a minute and scott just said that to jeff jeff mr jones how would you respond to that jeff like let's just pretend scott is a potential client or someone that's interested in learning more about insurance and, and the light bulb went off and they said I'd like to learn more about you know how I can how I can protect my family in the event something happens to my daughter what would you recommend or say Jeff to, to Scott well I talk a lot to people about this you know just trying to prompt that question to to do exactly what Scott said was well what would be reasonable I mean have you thought about it okay so and your child can die unexpectedly for a lot of things, not just special needs, right? I mean, things happen, you know, to people and life happens all the time to people. So, um, so what would be reasonable if, you know, if you're, you really think that if one of your child died on Friday, that you're going back to work on Monday? And that would be my first question is that, I mean, some people could, I guess maybe, you know, but, and, or if you, if you can't, if you're going to go back to work, do you think your wife can go back to work? Do you think your house is going to be disrupted in any way that, and again, money doesn't solve all your problems, but it helps carry you over some of the humps. And if you could think about all the things that are going to take place, you know, the, um, and maybe to take two or three, two or three weeks off, you know, through that or a month or two months, or you could take as much time off as you need and not have to be concerned about it. And it's just all of a sudden that need vanishes in that in that pre-planning portion, you know, of it. Certainly, um, the final expense of things, you know, twenty-five hundred dollars, twenty-five thousand dollars. I mean, but but there's more to all to your life besides, you know, just attending a funeral service over the next week. And right. so, um, uh, I mean, I I didn't uh, I didn't take I didn't move any of my daughters I didn't move any of my daughters clothes for a year and a half might have been two years before I felt like I could go in that room and take her clothes out of her cupboards off out of her out of her closet and out of her drawers and then put them away in a you know in a plastic container and carry them to my basement and put them on a shelf or let alone when you have a yard sale and you pull out all those toys and all their their books and everything else and you and you have people trying to 
barter you down from, you know, a $52 dress to 25 cents, you know, and really, you know, you've, that transition, it all comes alive again. It doesn't just go away because the funeral is over and, and you've thrown the last pile of dirt and a few flowers on a gravesite or, um, or you've had a cremation service, whatever the case may be, it does not end there. And so there are things that me and my wife do on a regular basis just to take time out to honor us as mom and dad, husband and wife, you know, um, and we survive that. And yeah, sometimes we cry, sometimes we laugh and I'm so glad for all the videos and things that we have of, you know, that keep our daughter alive in some ways. But at the same time, you know, we, uh, we're comfortable knowing that we're going to see her again. So, but that happens. It's not an, the funeral does not end the relationship and does not end the obstacles. And so I think you've got to be conscious of what's next and how long. And, you know, I, I think I went through a, a, a type of depression, um, but I'm, I'm Mr. Blue Sky, so I, I'm not, you know, how can I, how can I, I don't walk around with a sad face, but I think there were things in my mind that were missing. They were blanked, you know, in, and I wasn't all that I used to be, so. That's that, when I first met Jeff, he was introduced to me as Mr. Blue Skies, and it might have been yourself that introduced yourself as Mr. Blue so. I think if someone wants to go back to work on Monday, they can, but I think yeah. what we're offering here is a way of having a choice not if you don't want to you have that option um that's what it would be that would be yeah, the just, compelling just if there's an argument freedom, freedom yeah. and peace that's all we're looking for mm-hmm. all right the uh the last question here the last talking point is if we could talk for a few minutes about uh, caretakers and caregivers so we've talked about what happens if something happens to the, the we'll call them the dependent um, so let's just for a minute talk about what happens if, what do you recommend if something happens to a caregiver or caretaker? And now that, let's divide this conversation twofold, if we if we could. Number one is we'll talk about an in-house uh, direct family member providing the caregiving. Uh, what do you recommend, Jeff and Scott, uh, in terms of insurance or uh, life sustainability? And then if we could, when we're done with that, we'll talk about third party or hired hands. Uh, For now, let's just focus on the first question is, uh, Jeff, what do you recommend for a caregiver within the family? So that can be a wife, a sister, a grandmother. What do you recommend for in terms of life insurance and life sustain? I call it life sustainability. Well, again, a lot of people, it's the same thing when, when it comes to a spouse under any circumstance. I don't think enough people realize how much your life is going to change if that caregiver wasn't there. I mean, you're now you're now taking on both roles, right? And what is that? That may completely drain your income, you know, trying to process all that or having to get someone there or having to replace someone. So my question is, is what type of care do you want um, your child to have mm-hmm. if you can't do it or you don't have or you pass away yourself? So I really think that you need a trust, um, number one, um, and you need you need that life insurance to fund, be funded in that trust. And then that way, you're speaking exactly what you want as if you're sitting across from your child and you want somebody to exercise that to its through its end. So 
The unique thing is, is there are foundations that you can do. So you can create your own family charitable trust, or you could find a foundation that a portion of your life insurance is going to them. And now it's even possible that um, uh, because you name you name a foundation or, ch or charitable organization uh, in your life insurance policy as one of the beneficiaries, portion of them, those premiums or all the premiums actually become tax deductible because you're not, those you're actually contributing to that and they now have but you'd want to find a foundation that that says okay what we do is we make sure that that your a foundation is executing exactly what you want it done in your trust for your child when you're gone and uh, that would be uh, something that I would look at and uh, hopefully that answered the first part or second How about part. Uh, rule of thumb so the, the rule of thumb for a, a breadwinner is ten times right it's commonly accepted in the industry. Yeah, that's, that's, that's industry, yeah. So what Ten about caregivers? It depends on how old you are. So so I've, I've, I've read, and a lot of people have different opinions on this. So for a caregiver, I, the most common response I've read and heard is five times. So the caregiver uh, having a policy that's five times the amount of the earned income from the breadwinner, whereas the breadwinner wants to secure 10 times, I've heard, on the street five times for the caregiver have you heard the same or just real quick what what is your take on that i don't think it matters i think that 10 10 you know 8 10 12 times is probably a little bit more respectable respectable because you know if you get by with if, you, if you're doing the minimum it's you're gonna you get what you 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 know you what you return so so i mean don't get me wrong five times is more than probably most people even think about but I really think that probably eight to ten times is, is is more reasonable for both sides, whether it's a whether it's you know spouse directed or caregivers, because you can always spell out more in the trust as things go on. So, you know that's the nice thing. A lot of people will get a, a will, but the will just goes in the trust, and then there's the POA that goes in the trust, and there's the HIPAA papers that go in the trust, and you need someone to walk you through all that that's professionally responsible enough for uh, to plan that stuff with you. Scott, what what's your take on this? Uh, I've watched that number change over the years, so I think it depends on the age of the kids. Uh, for, yeah. And I'll back up and say, I don't know that you can quantify <laughs> what a spouse does. It, and we can all, since we're all men here, we all know that. We all have wives that were like, how do you put a number on what they do, right? Um, and so if they're you know, infants to small children, that number is gonna be much, I don't know that 10 times is enough. It can, it's, it depends what you want to do. Are you gonna go back to work? Are you gonna hire someone? Are you gonna, are you gonna stay home and take over? That's been my take. I thought if, if, someone ha if something happened to my wife, I'm not gonna work and I'm gonna raise these kids exactly how I want them. So I wanted to make sure I had enough in place to be able to do that for X amount of years until I knew they were gonna be well, about to the age now. Um, so if you're considering that with infants, um, it, I think it's, it just depends how you're, you got to plan, you got to do a certain amount of planning, how you're going to handle the situation if it happens. And then the number I think is based around that. Okay. That's how so I've looked at it through the years. So this is, this is where I, I'm trying to listen to both the uh, Jeff and Scott as, uh, as a, an average listener, uh, someone that's tuning in to get some information out of this. So. Uh, what I heard is this, is sit down with a professional 
and have that conversation with them. Ask them the questions. And in turn, they're going to ask you questions. That professional, Scott and Jeff and I, we would ask you questions in return. And the purpose of asking that questions is to, to help you think through these. And Jeff and Scott both brought up great points, I think, is um, you know, every situation's different. The age of the children, the dynamics of the household. I don't think in 2019, it's wise to do this on your own. You need a trusted professional. Agree? Yeah, absolutely. I would agree. You know, I always- You need someone that's not emotionally attached that can provide objective advice, professional advice. Yeah, again, I, you know, my, uh, my objective is just to answer their concerns. And, you know, I never try to sell anybody anything, but educate them. And if I educate them, then I'm, then I am professional. And so, uh, in that process, I ask, I always sit down with my client and say, look, you know, you go to the doctor sometimes and you have four things wrong with you. Two of them are no problem. You right, open right up and you tell your doctor what those things are. One of them's kind of embarrassing and you're not sure if you really trust your doctor enough to share that with them, so you don't. And then the last thing is you think it's totally not relevant, so you leave it out altogether. And the doctor says, well, come back and see me. Here's some medication, come back and see me in a month. And a month later, you don't see the doctor because, and so finally the, the doctor says, hey nurse, call my client up and see what's going on. You find out that, that his client died. Because the thing that you didn't, that you thought was embarrassing, you didn't trust enough to allow someone professionally to offer a diagnosis or a plan of action, a target that would take care of those things. And the thing that you left out was the thing that actually probably was the kicker that killed you. So it's the same way with when you're doing uh, advisory, financial advisory, that you take a look at all the things, lay everything on the table and let's sort it out and make sure that your needs are met. And because you as a client are a special client and with special needs that, that you gotta make sure someone asks you the right questions to prompt you to respond to build, you know, the right, the right target. Otherwise you're not hitting it. I'm sorry, Mike, but I lost you. If you can hear me, I have no sound. Testing, can you hear me now? Nah, I hear you now, brother. All right. I, I had muted myself. Um, right, so uh, we're getting near the end of the, the show here. Uh, real quick, uh, this is more my curiosity than anything else and for a variety of reasons, but it does, does it ever make, would it ever make sense to you to ensure the life of a third-party caregiver, so a hired hand? If so, when, when, when would that apply? Well, again, you know, um, I, I put together packages all the time for um, key employees, you know, of a corporation, for instance, if you have one salesman and your salesman's bringing in a million dollars a year, um, a million dollars certainly wouldn't really cover his loss. It might help you prepare for it, but maybe, you know, so I would treat a caregiver as a key employee that, that you're going to need time and you're going to want to find someone to take over, right? And so that is going to add to the frustrations of transitioning of all that, uh, all that information. So you want to make sure that you, um, uh, it wouldn't be wrong to say, okay, I'm going to take, I, I pay this person six months 
uh, or this much a month, I'm gonna make sure that I, in six months I find the right caregiver and maybe insure for six months of outpay, you know, or a year, whatever you feel comfortable that you're gonna need. Um, I would believe that there would be a, uh, a reasonable um, financial, uh, you know, like a fiduciary accountability and responsibility in that process to say, yes, this, you could take an insurance policy out on that person. You know, like I said, so you could do that. You could use, uh, like I said, a charitable, charitable organization or a foundation as a beneficiary. Now there's some other benefits that come to that um, uh, in regards to taxation. Okay. And Scott, any recommendation, uh, anything to contribute there? I think it'd be necessary. You know, you want, you want to have some buffer time to, you want to buy yourself some time literally to make sure you get transitioned right for your child to get them where they want, whether it's the time spent to find another caregiver in the home or another facility for where they're at or whatever it is. Okay. Uh, I think that'd be pretty important. So I, I was more curious than anything else. There, there is a blog article on our website on this very topic. Uh, so anyone listening that's interested in di- taking a deeper dive into that subject, uh, just go to www.cheapestfinalexpense.com and look for that article on our blog. Uh, and I, in future episodes, we're gonna expand on that topic. So this is you know curiosity right now, but there's a story developing. Uh, so keep that in mind. So it's time to wrap up. So uh, who wants to go first? And who wants to sign off first? I will. All right. Go, I just, thanks for having us on, Mike. This is good. Uh, I think we can all relate to this in one fashion or another. And if you're fortunate enough to not deal with some of these issues, there's in some way, shape, or form, you probably need to address something and just make sure it's taken care of and planned. Um, I just had a very unfortunate situation of a classmate, and he lost his wife, and now it's there there's a there's a financial problem and um not even relevant to what our topic was today but you know just just do the plan you you never know what's going to happen when or how so just and if someone wants to uh reach out to you or speak with you how do they get a hold of you scott yeah they can reach me at my email at scott at cheapestfinalexpense.com here in colorado how about phone or text yeah, my business line is 970-658-0047. Call or text works fine for me. Thanks. And Mr. Jones. Yeah, again, Mike, thanks for including me in this discussion and opportunity. I, I had written three three words or three sentences on my, on my notes preparing for today, and that was preparation, accountability, and regrets. And we, I think those, if you keep those three things in mind, um, that should make you keen enough to overlook uh, or look into the future. You know that you, someone's going to pay for something someday. It's an inevitability, right? And so, um, what is reasonable? Um, what is responsible? And make sure that you're thinking about. Um, I think a lot of people think, "Well, I'm dead. I'm gone." What? That's when all hell breaks loose, right? And so. And I've experienced it in a lot of other ways. When my son-in-law took his new snowmobile out and never came home, I had a I had a, a daughter with, you know, several kids that didn't even know, you know, where the checkbook was, let alone everything else. And so, I think a lot of us don't realize 
that the two most important things that are going to happen in life, and that's death and taxes, and we do the least amount of talking or preparing for the two most important issues that we all are going to face. So Amen. somewhere along the line, uh, we you know we just we just need to get prepared for it. So um, so yeah, anybody can call me anytime seven three four nine three four 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 zero six, and I'm just Jeff, just Jeff Jones. If you want to reach me by email, you can. Go to Jeff Jones one seven two one at Gmail, and that's um, Jeff Jones one seven two one at Gmail. Send me a text. Happy to talk to you anytime about your questions or or needs, whatever they could be. Love to help you. Great, thanks, thanks Jeff and Scott. And then my sign off is once again I'm Michael Lucy from Affordable Final Expense. We do not only final expense but many other things. I'm a Truth be told, I'm a rookie to the industry, but I attack this industry with passion. I love it. I come from a background of digital media and I'm trying to find the perfect marriage between new technology and this industry. The industry itself can be boring. No one likes to sit on a screen and listen to boring stuff. So our mission here at the Leave a Legacy and Not That podcast and video channel is to put, I, I use the term, excuse this, put a little sex appeal behind the conversation about end of life planning. Uh, so please do stay tuned for future episodes. We're going to have uh, Mr. Mano from Dearborn, Michigan, the Mano family, which has owned a, a clothing store in Detroit, Michigan for over, I believe, 80 years. I and know they're that. Gonna be, they're going to be joining us in a couple weeks, and they're going to talk about the, the modern, the traditional conventional trends for what to wear to funerals versus the modern trends. Can't wait for that one. Uh, we're hoping to have a psychologist on in a few weeks. And then next week, uh, Scott, who's on next week? I'll be interviewing um, a couple health insurance agent, one who focuses on pre-Medicare, pre-age 65 health insurance, mm -hmm. dealing with the ACA and all those different things. And she's a, that's her specialty. And then on the flip side of 65, I have someone who deals with Medicare Advantage and Medicare supplements. So it's uh, always a important topic and many changes coming in. 2020 so that that should be packed full of some good information awesome and once again i'm michael lucy from affordable finance Expense. you can find me on facebook under the brand name funeral funds of michigan you can find us on the on the web at www.cheapestfinalexpense.com and you're always welcome to call or text me at 734-288-8323 thanks again everyone and we'll see you next week Bye -bye. thanks guys